loving Jesus, there is no greater joy, no greater life. It's my joy, it's my strength, it's my guiding life. We love him because he first loved us. That's what he said in his word. God bless the children. Thank God for that. Jesus loves me, do it. see what the Lord will do. This is another wonderful, amazing passage. I want to say to you on next Sunday before we before preaching right now, before I preach right now, uh, I mentioned uh, last month about a, a special offering that uh, we as a church want to uh, take up for the marriage ministry, covenant keepers. Will you bring that offering next Sunday? Okay, next Sunday. We do support um, monthly, but uh, we want to do extra, okay, more, right? Um, there's a lot that um, covenant keepers is doing and they're, they're getting persecuted for it. So I thought, well, where we see God working, just join him in it, so I'd get a few blows on my head. Amen? For the glory and the honor of our Savior. So will you do that, please? Uh, next Sunday, uh, we will do that, okay? We don't want crumbs from the master's table, all right? Bring an offering, okay? All right. God bless you. Let us stand as we go into the Word of God today. This is the greatest book in the world, you know? By far. And if you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't believe it doesn't matter. It's still the greatest book in the world. It's not great because I said it. It's great because God said, before my word would fail, heaven and earth would pass away. So it has to be the greatest book in the world. It's the authoritative, all-sufficient, inerrant, not capable of error, word of the living God. Hallelujah. I'm preaching right now. Page six of your programs. Page six, all right? Put your seatbelt on while reading this. It's hard to stay on the ground reading this. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Oh my God. You know, 
not saved today, as you hear him today, cry out to him. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Watch what he does. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Together. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It's the word of God. Wow. Father, we thank you for yet another powerful text. Lord, I cannot get over the depth, the width, the height, the length of your word. It is so powerful. Thank you for giving me joy to study it and joy to preach it. I come to you now. It's preaching time, Heavenly Father, and I ask grace to preach the demonstration and power of the Spirit for it is only by grace that Christ can be heard and Heavenly Father your people need to hear your Son so Lord I pray for grace to exalt Christ, to preach Christ for your glory. And as we see him, help us to see the truth about ourselves. If there are some, some here who are in, in need of a savior, in need of salvation, I pray, Father, that you would grant them the grace you gave this blind man to cry out for mercy, to cry out to Jesus for mercy. And for those of us who are saved, oh, may we not sit here piously and act as if we don't need mercy. We need mercy today. Teach us, instruct us in righteousness. Show us our Savior. We never grow weary of seeing him. Bless today, I pray. Unite our hearts to fear your name. In the great and glorious name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Amen. We're good right there, Brother Mike. That's why you make the big bucks.
Grace for beggars. Yes, sir. Grace for beggars. Let me set this up, okay? And as we look at this wonderful passage today. This is the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel and the final episode before Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. We'll look at next week if the Lord wills. This miracle serves Mark's theological interests that he has set forth. The healing of the blind man right here really forms a link with the similar healing in chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Now remember, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, running to chapter 10, verse 45, frames a section of this gospel in Mark. The blind man, really is two blind men in this passage when you look at the parallel passages in, in Matthew and Luke. But the two blind men who received their sight stand in contrast to the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders. They also stand in contrast to the blurred, blurred vision of Jesus' own disciples. We already have seen, they are not seeing clearly, they are not totally spiritually blind like the religious leaders, but they are not seeing clearly. The religious leaders, how many of you know religion doesn't save? Yeah. <laughs> the religious leaders are blind. This passage relates to what will follow in chapter 11. The son of David cried that we see here of the blind man prepares us for Jesus' entrance in, in, into Jerusalem because there the pilgrims will cry, blessed is the coming of our father David. In chapter 11 verse 10. This passage reminds us that Jesus is indeed the Davidic Messiah who has come to Jerusalem to fulfill his messianic mission, which is to die and be raised again. So the healing of Bartimaeus here forms a very fitting conclusion to Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and it brings together some important themes in Mark's gospel. At least four. Number one, it brings the identification of Jesus as the Davidic Messiah and Son of God. It brings that together. 
Secondly, it brings uh, together the theme that Mark has set forth already concerning his compassion for the poor and the outcasts, you know, these recipients of grace. Thirdly, we see the contrast between the spiritual insight of the blind man and the blurred vision of the disciples that I just mentioned. And fourthly, we see the renewal of sight as symbolic of the promised restoration of creation in the new age of salvation that Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. Mark has already alluded to that passage or spoken of that passage there. So it brings together uh, at least four, of, four themes that have already been set forth in Mark's gospel. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The text says, and they came to Jericho. Stop right there. Jericho is 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem, close to the border of Judea. It is six miles from the Jordan and north of the Dead Sea. It consists really of two cities. Now this is not the Old Testament city, Jericho. That city had deteriorated over the centuries, brought to rubble, and more than likely was not even inhabited at this point. The Roman new city, this Jericho, just south of where the old Jericho was, this Jericho was built by Herod the Great around his winter palace. This city was known for its beauty. He beautified the city. He, he gave it a theater, an amphitheater, villas, baths. It was like a little paradise. Palm trees, rose gardens, etc. It, it, its winter climate was delightful. It was a winter residence fit for the king. This is the Jericho of the New Testament. Okay? Passover was drawing near in Jerusalem. Jesus and his followers were part of a group of, larger group of pilgrims headed up the road. This is the normal route from Galilee to Judea. Along with many thousands of Israelites, Jesus wanted to be in the temple precincts for the feast. How many of you know that he is the Passover lamb? Northern Jews living in Galilee walked south to Jerusalem to avoid walking through Samaria, which they considered a defiled land. They traveled east to the Sea of Galilee, then south alongside the Jordan River. Jericho was an oasis city located at the southern end of the Jordan where it emptied into the Dead Sea. 
So at Jericho, when uh, the worshipers turned west, they walked one day about uh, 15 miles to Jerusalem. It's a one day trip. And catch the scene here. Jesus is walking with his disciples. But don't think it's just Jesus and his disciples. It's Passover time in Jerusalem. So hundreds of others walked nearby. So let's imagine the scene. The, 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 the people are streaming into Jerusalem. Now, of course, the disciples were the nearest to Jesus. But there are hundreds more walking near him as a part of a larger mass of humanity that were walking toward the city. Any faithful Jew celebrated the Passover. So the procession then consists of Jesus, the 12, and a large crowd. According to Mark's gospel, it says that as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, a blind man is sitting by the roadside, begging. A blind beggar sitting by the roadside, begging. Now I set it up this way because this is the way it is for one thing. <laughs> but I want you to see this is a good place for a beggar to be. I mean, after all, there's a there, there's a large crowd and beggars are asking for alms that you know they, they want some money. So uh, the opportunity for financial support is great. But that's not the reason it's a good place for a beggar to be. That's, it, 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 it's not a good pl place for a beggar to be simply because it's a crowd and he can get some financial support. Jesus is in the crowd. And I say to you, before I bridge into my first point, you're in a good place. This is a good place for a beggar to be. <laughs> you know why? Because as you look at this crowd right here, Jesus is in the crowd. I want you to see, first of all, beloved, as we look at this amazing text, it, it, it is amazing. I'll have to stand still to, to, to preach verses 46 through 52. I'll have to stand still. Don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I will try to stand still. First of all, I want you to see, as we think about grace for beggars, and by the way, I do not mind at all, because it's true, I do not mind seeing myself right in the same place as this man. Grace for beggars. I want you to see, first of all, beloved, the desperate cry yes, sir. of the blind man. The desperate cry. Yes, yes, yes. 
of the blind man, the desperate cry of the blind man. And I want you to notice three things here regarding the desperate cry of the blind man. I want you to notice the plight of this man. I want you to notice uh, the uh, uh, perception of this man. I want you to notice uh, the persistence of this man. Alright? You with me? Teach us, blind man, how to cry to Jesus. Teach us, blind man, what saving faith really looks like. Notice the plight first of this man, and by the word plight, that's uh, probably an older word, uh, I, I'm speaking of his condition. His condition. And they came to Jericho, verse 46, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. His plight is seen right here. He is a blind beggar. Son of Timaeus. Some scholars uh, uh, agree that uh, Bartimaeus, you know, Mark doesn't usually give names of those being healed. Some scholars believe that Bartimaeus uh, may have become a well-known figure in the early church. But nevertheless, this blind beggar named Bartimaeus and Mark highlights is sitting by the road. Matthew chapter 20 uh, uh, tells us there were actually two blind beggars. Blindness was common in the ancient world. It was common. Some were blind from birth defects, others blinded through injury or disease. Beggars was not uncommon uh, in Israel as well. Uh, there were numerous beggars there. And the blind, like all those with disabilities, were despised and reduced to begging. According to John 9, they were, John 9 verse 1 and 2, they were considered to be sinners under God's judgment. By the way, all of us are born sinners under God's judgment. Because of his uh, physical condition, Bartimaeus was prevented from uh, 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 finding and performing a job in, in order to earn a living. That day, there were no welfare programs or charitable institutions who could who would help him. Let's stay in the cultural context, right? There was no social security. There's no government programs to which he could turn. He's totally dependent uh, upon the generosity of others in order to survive. His condition was pitiful and wretched. What do we learn from his condition? What does the beggar, the blind beggar show us by his disability and his plea for sin, uh, for, for mercy? Well, he shows us the blinding, the blinding, the blinding effects of sin. Sin blinds people. In fact, we were all born blind. 
about spiritual blindness as a key element of, 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 of satanic rule. In, in Colossians 1.13, for example, he, he speaks of the, the, the dominion of darkness. Where all people who are not saved live, they live under the, the dominion of darkness. But he speaks even more specifically in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Watch what he says. In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Yes, sir. Satan has blinded Unable to see, unable to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They, they lack this spiritual faculty. They are like the blind man, unable to see. I need some lawyers in here. This means that blindness is a universal problem. This means that everyone who is not a Christian is, is blind to a great and beautiful saving reality, the love of God in Jesus Christ. Unbelief is blindness to the greatest of all realities. It is blindness to the glory and power and holiness of God whose presence is everywhere. It, it, it is a blindness that is willing and active. Don't think People are blind and want to see. No, it's a willing and active blindness. Sinners rebelliously suppress the truth that God has revealed in nature. They're blind to the realities of eternity. They're blind to heaven and hell. And worst of all, they're blind to the only one who can redeem them by his blood, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They're blind. I once was blind, yes, sir. but now I see. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to your name, Lord. So when you encounter people on the streets or in the workplace or family members who are just blind to God, utterly unconcerned with spiritual realities, our response should not be one of contempt, Amen. Yes, but it should be one of pity. Yes, yes, yes. Our compassion, our compassion for people should spur us to greater zeal for the gospel, which is, which is the light God has given for the opening of eyes that are blind, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the answer to a universal problem. And Christ the gospel of Christ is the only answer. It is not an answer uh, within the religion of Christianity. It is the answer. Now again, the warriors here. That's the plight of this man. So his plight shows us the spiritual plight of all who are born in this world, into this world, all who live in this world without Christ, we have not received Jesus Christ, they are blind. Yes, sir. It's nothing they want to do about it, That's right. and it's nothing they can do about it. Amen. But good news, if you're blind today, Jesus is in the crowd. 
That is grace for blind beggars. But not only do we see the plight of this man as we hear his desperate cry, we see the perception of this man. That's verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Luke records in Luke chapter 18, verse 36 and 37, the same account. Luke records these words, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, meaning the blind man inquired. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. There's a lot of noise going on in the crowd. Blind man couldn't see, but he heard. Now notice, instead of referring to Jesus as the Nazarene, which simply associated Jesus with, with his hometown of Nazareth, Bartimaeus addressed him as son of David. The crowd told him it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing by. But he didn't call Jesus a Nazareth. He called, hey, glory, the son of David. Now, this is interesting. I could preach this verse, but I won't do that. This is the first time anyone in Mark's gospel has used this title. It has not come from the lips of his disciples. This is the first time anyone in Mark's gospel has used this title, Son of David. What is significant about the title? Well, according to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, uh, the Messiah, you, you, you can read it on your own when you get home, but uh, the Messiah would be David's greater son, the heir to the throne. He would be the king who would bring the fulfillment of all the promises of, to Abraham and David. So by calling Jesus the son of David, the blind man was acknowledging him as the savior whom God had promised to send. Oh my goodness. He was declaring Jesus as Israel's royal king, David's rightful heir, and God's righteous Messiah. Oh, he cried out, Holy One, Anointed One, King of Kings, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, other people saw Jesus as just a preacher. Just a miracle worker. But the blind man, the blind man who could not see, saw him as the Savior. This is an open public confession of Jesus' Messiahship. I can't stay there. But you ought to do some research on some son of David. But he, 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 he's confessing this is the Messiah. This is the rightful heir to David's throne. This, this is the king. This is the savior. 
This is the one who would come and bring heal, healing and wholeness and restoration. Now notice his request from Israel's Messiah. Have mercy on me. I want to say to you right now, if you, if you want to be saved, you need to realize what your condition is. Yes, sir. You're a blind sinner and you cannot do anything. Start coming to church. It won't save you. You ought to come. I, I, I can't speak for every church, but you ought to come to this one because you can get ran over by the gospel in this one. and I have it is, is preaching, but the gospel train is on the tracks in this but, but, but you do need to understand that that one will not save you. This man's cry was an acknowledgement of his misery, of his unworthiness, of his helplessness, right? But there was also a strong confidence and trust in Christ's ability and willingness to help him. So you have two things going here. He, he, he sees his unworthiness. Nobody is worthy to be saved. Everybody deserves judgment. Everybody. I don't care what family you come from. I don't care where you come from, where you live, whether it's on the mountain or in the valley. Everybody deserves the wrath of God. So you need to understand you're unworthy. But you also need to understand and believe in Christ's strength and ability to save. Now mercy Oh my goodness. At the simplest level, is favor shown to the needy? He's asking the strong to help the weak. He's asking the king to show favor to a beggar. Take pity. Do something to help me in my need. What kind of Savior is that? <laughs> Glory to God. See, but mercy also involves uh, the feelings of compassion, pity, and affection towards somebody who is suffering. You know how your heart aches and you comfort your crying child? Mercy is us, and you get the compassion of God. Oh my goodness. But, but, but also involved in mercy is the mercy of forgiveness. Because God maintains his relationship with us by loving and saving us despite our sin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's the source of mercy? The source of mercy is God's redemptive work that uh, removes our sin that alienates us from him and, and, and gives us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
So mercy flows from a relationship, doesn't it? We're kept because God is merciful. I'm talking to the saved right now. We're not kept because you had a great day yesterday. We're kept because God is merciful. God keeps his promise even when we are unfaithful. So in the fullest sense then, mercy is the love of God for sinners like us. The grace by which he rescues us from our lost and sorry, pitiful condition. Bartimaeus said, have mercy on me. He's saying what other people in the crowd are not saying. Where did he get perception like this? Hmm, let me think. Oh, I got it. I didn't have to think long. No, I didn't have to think long because I, I understand that no one understands. No one seeks after God, right? So if, if there's somebody that, that has some understanding of who Jesus is, son of David, and uh, some understanding of their pitiful, wretched condition, blind, then it must be the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has, has given him this perception. The Holy Spirit is at work. And wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, people began to see Jesus clearly and they see themselves clearly. I thank God for the Spirit. Grace saved me. What about you? <laughs> he cries out to Jesus. Someone asks Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? She was blind physically. She responded by saying, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. This man saw more than everybody in the crowd. Yes, <laughs> that is an apt description of this beggar uh, 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 by the side of the road. Uh, he had penetrating spiritual insight. And I have to ask before I move on, do you see your sin? Right. Do you see your need for a Savior? Do you see that the Savior is actually in this crowd being insulted through the preaching of his word? There's no other way you can come. But on the basis of need. Amen. And Jesus is adequate to meet your need. Yes. So we see the plight of this man uh, as we hear his desperate cry. We see the perception of this man. But I want you to notice thirdly in verse 48, the persistence of this man. Yes, sir. The persistence of this man. Just walk with me. I'm not making it up. It's in the text. <laughs> and many rebuked him. Telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Notice the opposition to his faith, his cry for mercy. Many, it wasn't just one person, many rebuked him. Telling him, to be silent. That word rebuked in our text 
It's not this. It's not this. Shh. Don't bother Jesus right now. That's not the word that it takes. This, this word denotes strong disapproval. Jesus. They don't give us, Mark doesn't give us the reason for the rebuke, does he? But contextually, we, we understand because the disciples were like this too. This guy is too socially insignificant to bother such an important rabbi like Jesus. Right? You remember back in early in chapter 10, verses 13 through 16? The disciples rebuked the people who brought insignificant children to Jesus. Yes, sir. Jesus, hey, 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 let him come. Right? So, Jesus is not rebuking this blind man, but the crowd rebuked him. And the irony here is that the blind man could see Jesus, but people in the crowd who had physical sight couldn't see him. That's, that, that's how running gets me. They rebuked him. What do you do when people oppose and stand against you? When you start talking about Jesus. I wish I had somebody else there. What, 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 what happens to your faith when people stand in opposition to Christ? Well, the text says the man would not be silenced. They rebuked him. Now remember, this is there's hundreds of people out here. He cried out the more. Son of David, have mercy upon me. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like their rebuke intensified his cry. Yeah. <laughs> no, their disapproval, no stopping me. He still has a strong desire in his heart and faith in the ability of Jesus to help him. Faith is active. And really, let, let's be honest, really, ultimately, and finally, you can't shut faith up. He kept crying for mercy until Jesus stopped and healed him. Let me put it another way. I'm talking to somebody in here. He kept crying out, praying until the Lord saved him. Don't tell me you tried that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. He kept crying out. You can keep crying out for mercy until the Lord saved you. He shouted over the noise of the crowd. They say, shut up, he got loud. They try to stop him from making the scene. He gets loud, loud. Begging for Jesus to save him. He, 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 he's like old man Jacob. <laughs> Back in Genesis 32. I won't let you go until you bless me. Right? He would not give up on his desire to have sight. We've already seen it. Let's take a quick little journey, right? Right here. But uh, persistence is an important sign of faith in Mark's gospel. 
We've already seen it. Uh, let, let, let me give you a couple of examples of what we've already seen. For example, in chapter 2, verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, uh, your sins are forgiven. And you know, you know those boys tore, tore up the roof to get, get this man to Jesus. In chapter 5, verse 23, in chapter 5, verse number 23, and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. You know, that's, that, that's all Jairus uh, by name. He is, he is begging. Right? Uh, 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 walk with me a little bit further. In chapter 7, verses 27 through 29, watch this. Verse 27 through 29. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? But she answered, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. And the demon left her daughter. I'm telling you, uh, 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 persistence is a mark of truth. Faith. In chapter 8, oh, mm, my goodness. In chapter 8, verse number 22, I want you to see it again. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Guess what happened? He touched him. In chapter 9, verse 24, we see it again. Chapter 9, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Persistence is a mark of true faith. Is that right? This man is persistent. And the lesson is very easy to apply. Don't keep quiet. Keep crying out for deliverance. Until you get it. <laughs> you have friends, put that in parentheses, and family members who will try to discourage you from calling and trusting in Jesus. Keep trusting. Keep crying out the way the blind man did. Until the word of God you receive, by the word of God you receive your spiritual sight. Then keep crying out for any and everything you need. Yes, Don't let anybody tell you yes. that he won't supply all of your needs yes. according to his riches and glory. Jesus is listening by the Spirit and he loves to hear the prayers of the needy. He has mercy for sinners you, like you and I. Yes. He's a merciful God. Be persistent. Yes. He will not pass you by. Be persistent. He will not pass you by. I am a living witness. He will not pass you by. The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning. It's for the desperate. Do I have any warriors here? I believe I'll send it again and bring it back. The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning. It's for the desperate. Is anybody here desperate? You've been coming a long time, still not saved, but glory to God. Here you are again, cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I declare by the power of the gospel, he will save sinners who cry for mercy.
Yes. I said I wasn't going to move tonight. Can I just do this? Glory to God. I'm in the text, beloved. I'm having a difficult time holding my peace because I'm all in the text. He saved me. I want you to notice one more thing before I go to Jesus. Notice his perseverance in doctrine. They said be quiet. He didn't change his doctrine. Man. This is the most amazing book in the world. They said be quiet. He got louder with the same doctrine. Son of David. Right? Opposition did not change his doctrine. It only reaffirmed it. Y'all don't get it. See, opposition wants to stop your dedication, but it also wants to corrupt your doctrine. Do I have any warriors here? Uh, if you stand for Christ, if you stand on solid doctrine, solid theology, the biblical theology of the Bible, the doctrine of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will have opposition because opposition, even among the church people, wants to change your doctrine. I was uh, preaching revival 10 years ago. This guy didn't invite me back. In this city, but I won't tell you. I won't go any further. And I'm certainly wasn't going to invite him here. But anyhow, I was preaching Galatians 4. That week, the Lord led me to preach Galatians 4. He led me to preach Galatians 4. Election, it's going to come up. All right, all right. Galatians 4. So I was preaching. The Holy Spirit had me. His deacons almost approached the pulpit. Because I would tell them, keep your Bibles open. You can shout amen all you want to, but keep your Bible open because I want you looking in it. His wife was going bananas rejoicing. His wife. The pastor's wife was. So I came back in the next evening. I'm ready to preach. Invite me to preach. If you want me to preach the Bible, don't invite me. This is the way I am. He said, uh, you know, I noticed you've been preaching uh, the election. I said, I said yeah, no, I'm preaching what's in the text. Hmm. This is before I went out to preach. I ain't trying to argue or anything before I go out to preach. I want to argue, period. But he said, well, I just want you to know that I don't believe what you're preaching. That's what he told me. He told me, he said, I don't believe what you're preaching. He said, but I know you're going to go back out there and preach it anyway, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. I said, now, Pastor, 
You don't want me to preach anymore this week. I said, I'll submit to you. And I'll leave right now. I said, I'll leave right now if you don't want me to preach. But I said, if I go back out there, I'm not trying to Galatians 4. The Lord gave me to preach. And I'm going to preach it. Yes, yes. You're going to hear election. You're going to hear saved by grace. You're not going to hear anything about, well, you know, a man has the innate ability to choose God. No, no, no you don't. You're blind. You're going to hear you totally depraved. You're going to hear God righteous. No, not even one. Right? So I preached it again. Wife went crazy again. Deacons went crazy again. I wrote a little note to him. All I did was jot it down several passages. And I said to him, I said, Pastor, will you read these passages and have lunch with me and let's talk about it. I never heard from him again. He was in opposition, but I cried out all the more. God. It's in the Bible. I preach Christ. I preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So you see the desperate cry of this man? Will you notice the deliverance of our sovereign Savior beginning in verse 49 and 50? The deliverance of our sovereign Savior. I'm not trying to sound any any type of way, but he is a deliverer. He is a deliverer. Yes, sir, he is. And if you want deliverance, he's in the crowd. Now, now notice the deliverance of our sovereign Savior. Oh, look at the commanding call uh, in verse 49 and 50, the commanding call. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And I'm blown away by verse 49. I'm blown away by the whole text, but Jesus is on his way to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. Yeah. It's heavy on his heart. It's he, 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 has, he has predicted his death three times to his disciples, and all three times they didn't get it. He, he, he is focused, he is headed for Jerusalem, and the cry of one beggar stops him in his tracks. You know what? Come, come, come here, Keelan Axon. Keelan Axon will tell you right now. You weren't listening because you missed a good place to shop. Right? One beggar's cry stopped Jesus in his tracks. Jesus stopped for the cry of one beggar that was on the side of the road begging that everybody.
everybody else ignored, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and he hears the crowd, this beggar that gets louder when people say, shut up. He gets louder and he stops. Calvary has to hold on. Y'all don't hear me. The religious leaders gotta wait. Before I get to the cross, I've gotta stop. Because I heard the cry of somebody begging for mercy. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. What a window into the heart of our Savior. What a window. I mean, look at all he does today. He's in heaven, right? And he's sustaining and holding up everything by the word of his power. Isn't he doing it? But guess what? Not only is he sustaining and holding up everything, but all the hosannas and praises of heaven are being given to him right now. Angels flying around. Saying, Hosanna, bless, glory to his name. He's getting all of the honor and all of the praise, all of the people that is uh, a part of the church triumphant that have gone on before us, they're all giving praise. But let any dare I call it. Y'all don't hear me. Let a beggar like me call out to him. Oh, glory, he'll stop right here. And he'll hear the cry of one beggar. But what I love about it, I've got to move on. All of you beggars can cry with this beggar all at the same time. And you'll hear the cry of every beggar in here. Lord, have mercy on me. Anybody feeling helpless? helpless? Respond to his authority. 
And they change from obstacles to advocates. And by the way, church members, saved people, this is what happens when we submit to Jesus' authority. Instead of hindering ministry, we help. You take that home. You, you, you can chill there uh, when you get home. But when, when we submit to the Word of God, instead of hindering ministry, we help. Yeah. Notice what the crowd said. They called the blind man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Take heart. That means be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances. Okay. It's a word of assurance. It speaks of comfort and encouragement. Take heart. Then they say, get up. That, that, that is a command that, that evokes movement from a fixed position. Because you can't just sit and take heart. You got to get up from your fixed position. And then here's the reason to take heart and get up. He's calling you. <laughs> Whenever the, the words take heart is used in, in a context with Christ, it always means something good is about to happen. You remember the same words he used in Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And she got well. Have I got any warriors here? See, every day, Jesus, through his word, every week, every Wednesday, when you read, when you study, he's calling us to his side. Because he's this wonderful Savior. But he calls in order to comfort us. He calls in order to encourage us. He calls in order to restore us. He calls in order to heal us. He calls in order to bring us to repentance and true faith in Christ himself. I'm telling you now, if he's calling you today, you will come. I said if he's calling. Now I'm going to give the external call. But if you hear him calling, you will put your trust in him. Because his call is always effectual. Jesus has never called somebody and they hung up in his face. Y'all don't get it. Every time, hey, glory, every time he calls a sinner to himself, he calls a sinner from his heart, he calls a sinner from within, every time they call. Let's see, what, let's see what he did. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. You know, the cloak, the cloak was a large, heavy outer garment, garment that served this poor beggar to cover him from the weather. And, 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 and they, they would wrap up in the cloak, but also in the warm climate, they would spread the garment the cloak on the ground for people to drop money into it. He threw it off. He threw it off. He may have had some money in it. He threw it off. It was designed to keep him warm in cold weather. He threw it off. Obviously, he didn't want to get entangled in it. Because he was so overjoyed to come to Jesus. The Bible says he sprang up. You know what sprang up denotes? That little bird? 
There was some joy when he heard that Jesus was calling. Try having a word this when, when he heard that Jesus was calling, joy got his heart. He threw off anything that might entangle him. And joy was, was in his heart. And I see a beautiful picture of, of sinners coming to Jesus by faith. Had to throw it off anything. Oh, when I heard the call from Jesus, I threw off my whole life. And I was willing to give up everything for the power of great price. Glory to God. And there was joy all in my heart. I'll tell you something, young people. And anybody else in here, if you think the Christian life is boring, Jesus. I'm 150% sure you're not living it. I'm going to say that again pretty bad. If anybody in here thinks the Christian life is boring, you can't be living it. You are not living it. I get joy. I think about the Lord. Glory to God. Uh, see, the Christian life is designed to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Are you telling me you have exhausted God? Oh, you all don't hear me. God is the joy and the strength of our lives. You can't be born with God. It off, right? The commanding call, he threw it off. Jesus called you, 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 you threw it off. Because you'll see the Son of David, you'll see the Savior. Then there's a compassionate question in verse 51. The compassionate question, listen to Jesus. This boy throws, throws off his cloak, comes to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover, let me receive my sight. Two things about this question. Number one, the question challenged his faith. Jesus knows his condition, but he challenges his faith. He doesn't heal him immediately. He involves him in the faith process by asking, what do you want me to do for you? He, he wants him to glory. Vocalize his faith. That's what he did. Lord, I want to see. He, he, he has no doubt that Jesus can heal him. But no blind man had ever been healed before Jesus came. But he still has no doubt Messiah has arrived, right? And when the Messiah comes, Isaiah 61 says he's going to give a recovery of sight to the blind. And when Jesus started his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yeah. Right? And, and he went ahead and preached Isaiah 61, yeah. 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. Now watch this. That's the same question he asked James and John. Yes. But he asked James and John to expose their pride. He asked the blind man to provoke greater faith. <laughs> See, I want, I want you to know, Jesus will challenge our faith. Thank you, Lord. He'll strengthen our faith. Yeah. 
He'll stretch our faith. Do you hear me? <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? What are you going through? I'm not going to go any further than here. What are you going through? What do you want him to do for you? Right? See, as long as you keep saying, well, just get me out of it, just get me out of it, just get me out of it. Preach, preach. Strengthen me. Give me some peace. Let me know joy. Give me grace to honor you. If you don't lift my burden, give me grace to bear up under it. And still ascribe to you all the honor, all of the glory, and all of the praise. Challenge his faith. I'll tell you something else about this question. It reveals the deity of Christ. Because I have to ask myself, if this blind man stepped up to me and asked for mercy like this, I pray for him. I pray God give him some grace in this difficult situation. I pray and ask God as your will, will you alleviate his bodily suffering? Yes, sir. In my context, I might discuss some, some various services that he might get help from him. I might tell him how our church might minister to him. But I'll tell you one question I would never ask him. Amen. What do you want me to do for you? Because I know what he wants. I can't give. Y'all don't even hear me preaching. Is that right? But nobody can ask that question unless it's God he saw his faith, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Amen, amen. Nobody can ask that question but God. <laughs> According to the Old Testament teaching, only God can give sight to the blind. That's right. And you know what? One of the reasons, one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of the reasons we don't draw near to Jesus, because unlike the blind man, we forget who we're talking to. Yeah. The blind man says, son of David. We talk to Jesus as if he's not God. Jesus, Jesus. Do I have any warriors here? Yeah, 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 yeah. You say you need mercy, but do you, do you really believe who he is? Do you, do you really believe that he can give you mercy? Are you really trusting God to do what only God can do? Sometimes we're not trusting because we're still trying to figure out how we can do it. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> this man is trusting in the sovereign power of Jesus Christ to give him sight. Right. This is an open confession in the ability of Jesus to heal. Yes, sir. Amen. Yeah, I'm at verse 52. I made it. Hallelujah, Pastor. You made it. We see uh, the, the deliverance of our sovereign Savior. We see the commanding call, the compassionate question. Aren't you glad Jesus is compassionate? Yes. Yes, sir. He cares for us. Thank you, Lord. What do you want me to do for you? I'm God, a very God. You can trust me. Trust in my ability. Yes, sir. But lastly, we see the conquering command. In verse 52, and I'm going on in. 
I almost said I'm, about out, I'm, I'm just about out of gas, but really I'm not. I have a lot of gas left. I'm trying not to do this text. <laughs> the, conquering, the conquering command. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now this is amazing. What do you want me to do for you? I want to receive my sight. But Jesus didn't say receive your sight. He gave him a command. That required being able to see. Like, he just gave her a command to require being able to see. Go your way. He's not asking him to go his way. He's commanding, go your way. It means, I know you understand this, move from this place and go in another direction. You don't need to sit here and beg arms anymore. You don't need to be standing by the side of the road anymore. No, go your way. Because when Jesus saves a man, he does not stay where he was. He does not remain in his fixed position. No, when Jesus saves a man, he says, go your way. He does not remain like he was. Because he becomes what he was not. A saved man by grace. Go your way. That's good news to me. What kind of savior do we have? He said, I want to receive my sight. Jesus can just say, go your way. Oh my goodness. He gives a command that requires sight. Go your way. I guess, I don't guess, Jesus can just will it to be so. Go your way. That man is trusting Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Don't think Jesus is saying you made yourself well. Because faith is centered in Christ. Right? It's centered in who he is, son of David. His ability to heal, receive my sight. It is faith is the subjective means that God has put in his heart that as he trusts Christ, Christ makes him permanently well, being in a state of being saved. Amen. Amen. Well has a double meaning here. Amen. Amen. What's happening in what happened was what's happening in his body is an outward picture. Of what had already happened in his heart. He got two sons. You got to let me by, buddy. Oh my goodness. He got two sons. He's able to see Jesus by faith. He's able to see Jesus by sight. He got what I'm waiting for. You didn't catch that, I know you didn't catch it. You didn't 
attention. He got what I'm waiting for. I see him now by faith. But oh, one glad morning when this life is over, faith becomes sight and I see him as he is. Go your way. Right? Go your way. Glory to the Lord. Just go your way. You ask for sight? Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the Bible says immediately. That's Mark's favorite word, isn't it? Mark loves that word immediately. Not after, not after trying to chant and speak in tongues and say, oh, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. No, 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 no. No foolishness like that. Immediately. Because Christ has power. And Christ doesn't need any help with his power. Christ has power all by himself. The Bible says immediately. He recovered his sight. Right? He was a beggar on the side of the road. But Jesus transformed him into a disciple on the road. <laughs> Listen, don't miss this. I'm closing. Don't miss this right here. Faith that does not lead to discipleship cannot be, is not saving faith. I better say that again. Faith that does not lead to discipleship following Christ is not saving faith. I better say that to you over here. I, I said to you, I'm over here. I said to you over here. Faith that does not lead to following Christ as a disciple cannot, is not saving faith. Because everybody who saves starts following. If you ask Jesus for sight today, you gotta be willing to follow him, right? That's what happens when we get saved. It's a whole life of worship and obedience and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, you get joy when you follow Christ. You rejoice in Christ, your Savior, because you've been changed from the inside out. And you start following Him. Isn't that good news? Let me give you a test. Do you experience joy when you worship the Lord? Oh, stop looking around. Look at your own self. Oh, I know he don't. I, no, she don't. No, I'm talking to you. Do you experience joy? We worship the Lord. Oh, I got another one. Are you keeping the commandments of Christ? Oh, can, can you hear me preaching right now? Uh, uh, does my life point other people to Jesus in such a way that makes them want to follow him too? If I say that I'm trusting Christ, it ought to be evident in the way I worship, the way I witness, and the way I live. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get up from where you are. You want mercy from Jesus Christ. He'll give you the strength, the transforming grace to get up from where you are. He give you grace to get up Amen. from where you are. Amen. What do you do? Amen. What do you do again? 
He give you grace. Thank you, Lord. I remember when the Lord saved me. And I remember before he saved me. Now you, now you have to know this. I gotta be careful, my mom's sitting there. That's right. I, really, I can stay there with him. I gotta be careful. I'm Randy's brother. Randy and I are reptile. About five times more than what you see. I knew stuff that he was doing. The mom and dad didn't know. Mom, when I was be praying though. He's praying. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> pray, pray, pray. I, I saw the Lord save Randy before he saved me. Yeah, 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 yeah. He saved Randy. I've been preaching longer, but Randy didn't save longer. He saved Randy before he saved me. Because I didn't want him. That's right. No, I didn't want him. I see Randy do some crazy and terrible hard things. Then the Lord got a hold of that boy. Thank you, God. Got a hold of him for real. And I just watched. You, you gotta understand, I've always wanted to be like Randy. I just watched the Lord changing his life. Uh, never heard him talk about praying in church. Now he praying to heaven come down. What's wrong with him? He pulled away from the house he used to hang with. All the guys he used to hang with. I, I, I can't call their names because some of you know them. But he, he pulled away. Some of them still lost. Pray for him, okay? He pulled away and started living for Christ. And I'm looking at this. Man, I can't have fun with him no more. Because he keep talking about Jesus. And I'm telling you, over a period of time, I just kept looking at him. He'll be back. He'll be back. I didn't say that to him. I just, you know, he'd been in hours. But they said, he'll be back. He'll be back. He didn't come back and start getting stronger. Thank you, Lord. Became a deacon. Serving the Lord like crazy. Finally, one day my dad was preaching. He had to understand the old preachers. You're going to get the cross. <laughs> well, I don't care if they're preaching on time. <laughs> they're going to close with the cross. They're going to close with the cross. And I can't tell you how many times I had heard it. I had heard it on the J.W. Williams. I had heard it so many other times. But that day, he gave this beggar what Randy had. <laughs> Glory to God. He gave grace to another beggar. 
Alright. And if I'm talking to anybody out there, Jesus. and you think about all you've done and the type of life you live, all of us are just a bunch of beggars. Yes. You're in the right place. Yes, Lord. Give him grace. Everybody else may have cast you off and saying you'll never be any good. He'll give grace. Yes. He'll give grace to beggars. Yes, you do, Lord. Call out to him. You see your condition, don't you? Y'all better go on. You're spiritually blind. But he'll give you, he, he has given you some understanding of who Christ is this morning. Do you see who he is? Cry out to him for mercy. Don't let anybody stop you. If the person sitting next to you is saying, oh, don't listen right now, don't listen right now, because we ain't listening, get into that real saved stuff. Don't listen to him, just cry it out the more. Jesus will stop. Just like he did for Stephen. He'll stand up. He'll send his Holy Spirit. Save you. Whoever you are. That's the choir singing. Do holy business. With the Lord. Just you personally. I don't know who you are. You may be a member of this church, you might not be. You may have been living a double life for years. You can fool me. But double life does not, it, 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 it gets worse when you die. Because he'll let you know he knew it all along. So you may have been living that life, and I might think you're saved, but I'm not the Savior. Jesus is. The choir you heard sing. You heard the gospel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You ought to do some holy business right now. I don't want you excited over Jesus and leave him lost. He is who he says he is. Trust him today. Trust him.